Hello, I'm Katie. And I'm Leslie. And, and we're, we're all booked. Welcome back to another episode of Sterling Municipal Library's podcast, where we talk to you about the books we'd like to recommend. And Kathy is bringing another assigned book today. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, this is an assigned book that all three of us have read yeah. at one point in our scholastic careers. We're like that little little baby teen adult picture. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> all standing next to each other, all having been assigned the same book. Like over I know some of the ones that you've talked about in the past were older books and mm-hmm. also considered classics. Weird enough, those were never books that I ended up reading during my yeah, schooling. Yeah, but, Brave New, World, uh, but Brave New World is, is one that I think everyone can relate to being assigned. <laughs> so, how about you start off by kind of giving us an overall summary of it, your initial impressions. We'll jump in at some point with our own, because yeah. that book is very polarizing. Oh, yeah. I was basically expecting something like Ready Player One, where they jump into a futuristic kind of like mold of what society could become. This one is... A Brave New World set in London, England, I believe. And it specifically is a society that has organized itself to be devoid of any, like, type of pain or any kind of... It's very hedonistic. um, Hedonistic? Yeah. What is that? Yeah. Celebrating, It's all about the good stuff, you know? Mm. It's almost like the next level of consumerism, like... Yeah. Yeah, it gets rid of any strong feelings that you could have, so, like... Any type of hardship, you can just turn around and take some Soma or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, instead of having autonomy over yourself as we're used to right now, they kind of make you like an assembly line item. And in that world, they worship Henry Ford, who revolutionized the assembly line concept. And it was just my first impressions of the book were kind of like, oh, okay, whoa, this is kind of weird. Like, how's it... How does it work? What do they expect to come out of this? And the more you kind of dive into it, I'm just like, the less you say, ah, this can't be real or this is never going to be possible. I was just kind of like, this sounds like something someone would do, like if they were given the chance. (laughs) Interestingly, where this book really starts to take a curve, I don't remember who the main central character is, but I do remember one of the main curveballs in the book is when they discover a natural born person. Mm -hmm. And that's considered so disgusting almost yes and this person is like basically dropped into this society that's entirely foreign to you mm-hmm. know his very sheltered mindset if is i the main character if i can remember the guy that they found was basically like like on a preserve like a human preserve like to like it's for- like kind of like one of those what are those societies called where it's kind of like off to the side or something? yeah there's a name for them but but like tribes in the amazon that yeah. that are far enough out of reach that no one bothersome no one bothers them hopefully it was kind of a reserve i believe that was located in new mexico mm-hmm. and bernard went there and found a man named john nicknamed like john the savage who was the son of linda who was the previous partner of the director i believe his name was like thomas or something mm-hmm. and it's kind of like i really don't think john was the main character i always thought it was bernard but then he kind of fell off around like the end and john came more into the picture by the end and i was just kind of like maybe there is no central character just switches from who's more interesting in that moment because at first bernard is like what we would say is a good person and kind of as the book evolves he just kind of falls out of relevancy which is kind of sad because his character was always an outcast and misfit but then he tried to like chase after fame that he got from being with john and being his escort and everything and john just kind of like he just kind of had a lot of trauma to him basically i didn't really go into this part of the book but what from what i read in the summaries and what my friends experiences are and everything 
He basically had a mother that was extremely promiscuous and that led to a lot of trauma in his life because promiscuity and negligence usually go hand in hand when it comes to parents. And after her death, he basically kind of spiraled into insanity. But I also thought some of it was that... Because interestingly, promiscuity was celebrated in that society, Mm -hmm. but it was within certain confines. Yes. Like it was treated more like a recreational activity. And it super shouldn't be emotional. And it super shouldn't be reproductive either. Because, you know, you can go ahead and talk about how your fascination with the test tubes. (laughs) I think the the idea, if I remember correctly, was that no one should have any connection to anything. Because if you have a connection to something, it makes you passionate about that thing. And if you're passionate about that thing, you'll fight other people for that thing. That reminds me of the light side of the force. Anyway. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, that's one of the main ideas. While Lenina and um, Bernard were in a helicopter, Helicopter, and he has this quote about like looking at the sea and it makes him feel like an individual and she goes like oh, what do you mean that's preposterous <laughs> and he's just like bruh he's just like because like he really likes her but lenina crown is like very incepted with the idea and doesn't deny any of the world's teachings to her mm-hmm. so he's just kind of like I really like you, but I really don't like any of your ideals. <laughs> and he just, yeah. Tell us, were there any particular scenes that really resonated with you or stood out to you as memorable? When they electrocuted Delta babies and tried to incept the idea of hating nature and hating books into them. So they electrocuted babies. Yeah, that was not nice. I remember a lot of like the childcare scenes being particularly disturbing, like even yes. through their schooling and stuff. Yeah. So yeah. Like the two main methods I believe were introduced. Like one was like really volatile, which was the electrocution. And the other one was hypnopedia, which is like them trying to do a training where they would play soundtracks not soundtracks, sorry. Like little lines of propaganda to yeah. accept into mm-hmm. the children's brains and i'm just like because it does seem like it would be hard to raise children who have no emotional attachments to like parent figures or anything like that so it feels like you would have to like purposely make their life pretty terrible so well, they I, wouldn't I think if i remember form attachments. they're raised separately from well, yeah. yeah they really no, yeah. are independently raised. yeah but even like like any adults like taking care of them you would have to switch them up you would have to make sure that they're not with other children very long like you just oh. got to keep them moving so they can never Form attachments. Form attachments, which if you didn't know in psychology is a terrible way <laughs> to make children. Yeah, I really don't know how any of these people walk around. Like, so much. Just a bunch companions. of drugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It kind of like makes me draw the connection between like the my family's Buddha, so I try to research more into it. And I believe this one tale of Buddha before they were they went around the world and started trying to like find th- themselves or find <laughs> or trying to basically like better the world, learn more about it. They were a wealthy person that lived in a palace and their parents would, like, anyone that was ill, anyone that had any type of deformities, anyone that was getting older, they wouldn't be, like, they wouldn't be in the palace for a long time. So all, I believe, like, Buddha knew was that he, or, but Buddha basically wasn't used to seeing any type of grief, any type of aging, any type of illness that was present in the world. Like, his parents may loved him so much or wanted to shelter him so much to the point that he didn't even know that the world was as horrible as it was once he got outside. And then that's when he started trying to better the world because he was like, he was just kind of like, while he could have just went back to his environment where everything was perfect and everything was just like already made for him, he decided to go out into the world and try to like better it in a way that he was actually like proud of, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because like while 
you in Brave New World, you are able to achieve somewhat of a utopian society because obviously there's no war, there's no conflict, there's no like huge uprisings. It's always just like minor problems like, oh, like Bernard doesn't fit in because he's short. Oh, Heimsholtz doesn't fit in because he likes art. Oh, John doesn't fit in because he was born on a reserve, I guess, because of like a really freak accident with his mom like falling off and just like getting knocked out and getting found by some hunters. But like, you know, right. <laughs> out your situations. But like mm-hmm. they account for everyone in that society. So it's really hard to say that they aren't taking care of people in the society. It's just that they aren't really allowing them their own autonomy and therefore yeah. that poses a problem because then there's people that always want something more or people that like break out of that mold and then they just get shoved to the side. Yeah. And and John gives a big I don't know if it's it's further in the book so you may not have run across it yet, but John gives this big speech that's basically like, okay, fine, all these people are alive and you know they all have jobs and they all have food, but like what's the point? Like they don't have anything to live for, they don't have anyone who loves them or that they love or anything that they love. He gets into a huge rant that when I was a teen, I was like, well, I really feel this rant. I really relate to it. (laughs) This is what happens when you read Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. You get get to some, like, super edgy part and you're just like, I understand this. I will share my experience reading the book. I was a big fan. I still, when people ask me what my, probably like to like 22 or 23, when people ask me what my favorite book was, I would always say Brave New World. Not because I would like read it again all the time, but it's the book that I feel like affected me the most like when I was a teen. I read it and was just like, wait a second. It's important that people have things that they're passionate about. (laughs) So... And I also just, like, I went to school in the South and Brave New World because a lot of its stuff is supposed to be shocking. Like, it's supposed to make you think, like, oh my god, this society is pretending to be great, but it's actually terrible. And I think a lot of people did not react to that shock very well. I was drawing babies in, in test tubes, as per the book, and everyone else was, like, full 1950s gasp. Like, this is <laughs> terrible! <laughs> so I grew up super, super sheltered. Like, mm-hmm. I I even went to a private Christian school for my high school. And surprisingly enough, that was one of the books that was selected for my English class, even though, once again, super, super sheltered. Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking full on like purity culture and everything. So Mm -hmm. that book, I don't want to say I hated it, but I reacted very strongly to it because it was the first time like my own ideologies that I'd been living in, you know, this Mm -hmm. soup of really like carefully selected ideas was really shaken. Yes, you were a John. Not kind a John, of. but well, you, yeah, were, you were like, like John. <laughs> getting exposed to something like that, like, I understood the value of it, but I wrestled with it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was the first book I ever read that really exposed me to the power of other ideas as they're contained in literature. Yes. I've always wanted to go back and uh, reread it just because, you know, now I'm more jaded and <laughs> yeah, exposed that to a lot more. That one's hard to ignore. I think there are a lot of books where the point is is really easy to gloss over. That one, it's real. It's really hard to get past the, like, like, like you said, electrocuting babies and, and oh, yeah. constantly drugging people and, mm. you know, all, all of this stuff. It's really hard to, to get past that. When you're reading without realizing, like, oh, this is bad, capital B. Yeah. Like, most other books that are assigned, they're kind of, like, they speak on important topics, but they're shown in a way where people are like, oh, I mean, that's bad that that happened, but, like, Mm -hmm. whatever. And it's just kind of, like, that was very slangy of me. Anyway, in uh, Brave New World and other books that, like, kind of reach up to that caliber, it's, I feel like 
that book even though it's not like oh revolutionary they turned over the system and everything like not a hollywood ending Mm -hmm. it basically kind of showed all the problems and highlighted all the problems in a way and provided like very intellectual critiques so like all this like huxley is probably a really smart person (laughs) so interestingly i think that book was published in either the late 30s or early 40s it's Mm -hmm. a really old book yeah does it still feel relevant even to a modern teenager yeah and have you been able to talk to your classmates how have they reacted to it they are reading different books so it's only like Uh, two other people that are reading the same book as i am but my teacher really likes them that's good (laughs) (laughs) but why do why do you think it is relevant to today's society in a way that some other books written at that time may not feel well the other ones were always like rooted in some type of political idea that was relevant at that time this one's kind Mm -hmm. of more of just like societal critiques and how we organize ourselves which is always relevant because we're always in a different type of organization Mm -hmm. such as like one that is patriarchal matriarchal or economy based one is more focused on culture such as but this one is basically like oh, we're going to eliminate everything else besides economy. And it's just, well, actually. I mean, it is almost raising people like farm animals. Yeah. Their productivity. I mean, they're keeping them happy and feeding them, but only so they can keep working. Yeah, Yeah, it's just very like, while I don't believe that the main focus is economy, because I feel like that's an inaccurate statement. Yeah. It's more of just the focus has shifted from caring for like the body of people and letting them organize themselves. It just kind of takes away all that autonomy. So now you don't even know what the society would create or what it would result in. Even if you gave them all their autonomy back, they're already incepted with the idea that they can't do anything outside of their roles. And that's just a very like i despise that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just one of those. I can't really put it into words why I hate it so much. Well, I think it's very unnatural for humans to not have, like, emotions about something. I I, I think it, it rubs people the wrong way to think about a world where there's no parents and there's no children and there's no, like, movies, not not movies, and there's no art and there's no literature. Because even if you're not a reader, even if you don't watch movies, like, the idea of having something where humans create nothing is just, it's a, a squicky, as I like to and say. it's also recognizing that when, yes, you might give up the very low points of of humanity but when you do that you're also giving up the high points yes it's just too much of a level playing field to the point where it's nothing is happening you're just moving in one constant stream Mm -hmm. no one's going upward no one's going downwards you're just here and witnessing instead of here and thriving yeah so that book is one of the earliest examples of dystopian fiction. Have you mm-hmm. read any other like dystopian titles? None that I can pick right now, but I'm pretty sure I have. That one was kind of like, yeah, I was wondering my, like one of my huge internal questions was, is this a dystopian or a utopia? Like, it, usually dystopia is a utopia gone afoul. So yeah. this one definitely is a foul, even if mm-hmm. the people trapped in it don't necessarily see it. Yes. You've also got like 1984. You've mm. even got some of the more modern takes like Maze Runner and... It is actually really hard to write utopian fiction because it's perfect in theory and it's really hard to make a a compelling novel about a perfect world with with happy people. (laughs) Especially when there's no conflict. Yes. (laughs) I feel like utopia can't really be achieved mostly just because you start realizing like how far you'd have to go to keep it a utopia and you're like you're not going to kill anyone to have which is how lot, the dystopia so. happens yes. because yeah. people go really far to make sure it stays a utopia yeah so i don't really know if there's ever going to be a compelling utopian novel but i would like to read it i think there there ha- there was like a little tiny spike in utopian fiction i have never read any of the novels but they do exist out there so if anyone is interested i'm sure you could do a quick google search and get some utopian titles to try out Again, 
again, not sure how it works. Unless it's, maybe it's just, like, realistic fiction, but everything's perfect on the outside. Uh, unless there's some outside force threatening, like, the super happy world. Oh, yeah. Kind of of, like, <laughs> We're utopians, but those aliens, yeah. they're not utopians. I'm thinking of the Trolls movies. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> everything's super happy, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they're trying to eat us. Oh, no. That sounds really boring. Yes. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a hard part. Dystopian fiction is always... One, very easy, because I think it's it's human nature to kind of think of all the possibilities and probably maybe bet a little heavier on the, the bad possibilities happening. <laughs> I don't know if it's just, like, me reading a lot of books that are on any type of stream, but I feel like any author I've, I have read, they just, like, incept a little bit of pessimism into their stories. Did you think Brave New World was pessimistic or optimistic? Uh, like, overarching, like, there can be moments that are pessimistic, but do you think the gist of it was that humans humans are have potential and it's gonna be okay or we're gonna ruin it (laughs) we're gonna ruin it all stop trying i don't really see aldous huxley being like oh this is a completely bad or completely positive situation i think he was just more critiquing human nature and how if you don't really feed the human mind or human heart enough it would just go haywire at some point Mm -hmm. i mean it's a dystopian novel so i would say it's more of critiquing in a negative light but it was kind of like how really intellectual people talk to themselves they basically instead of just being like oh let me make one claim and find 17 pieces of evidence to support it instead of doing that like more intellectual people are more likely to make a claim try to see where other people's arguments are so if they find 17 claims against them they'll find 17 pieces of evidence that would either be able to refute it yeah yeah it's kind of like i think he was just like more of posing a question to the audience rather mm-hmm. than saying, oh, you sh- this is what you should believe. Because I always thought, one thing that I thought was interesting about the book when I read it is that there were these people, and they were considered like outcasts, but there were people that despite all the brainwashing and propaganda and drugs and all that, who were like, I just really want to make art, guys. I don't know, like there's this feeling in my chest and it gets like really big when I think about like making things. (laughs) Yeah, because in every society, no matter how much you try to perfect it, there's always going to be like a quote-unquote smudge or quote-unquote imperfection yeah and and just like the the human drive to create despite how hard that society tried to wipe it out like it was still there they had no idea what it meant or how to do it but they were like i just feel like it's a good idea (laughs) yeah like stone age art it was that was interesting to learn about in a 10th grade i was just like yeah all these people who like clearly on a day-to-day basis have a lot to worry about like saber-toothed tigers probably i don't know when they were probably during cavemen cold hot fire burning them all of these problems and they were still like what if we smudge some like stuff on the wall and made like a cool art piece (laughs) i think that that type of sentiment be trying to be like that the brave new world like in that setting tried to wipe away it was just like i can't really put it into words even though i've thought a lot about this book why that was so like mentally offensive to me in my mind i was like you can't take away culture or someone's artistic like creations because i that's basically like besides just erasing their hard work because like art is hard work it's also wiping away an expression of their ideals and expression of like their emotions and it is really important to me that even though i disagree with people i still try to understand them and learn what their method of thinking is because it's important to document everyone's methods of thinking and allow everyone to express themselves whether you find them extremely offensive and extremely dumb (laughs) but it's still important to be said because if you don't document the way that people think or the way that people feel you'll just never be able to reach a point in society where 
you'll actually thrive or people will never feel like oh man no one's ever thought of this before like it's the only one and like deep down humans are like social animals and if you erase anything that kind of gives them that social comfort it's going to be detrimental in the long run i know you had an assignment based on this where you just supposed to write a summary on it or did you have any directed questions like five directed questions per week so 25 questions in total i'm on my third week a fourth week so and i yeah. Were any of the questions, did they stand out to you or bring up any interesting analysis of the book? Sorry, my brain like goes into like student mode. No, you're good. You're good. <laughs> I just like... threw you straight into student mode too. So yeah, Remember like... the last 20 questions yes. you've gotten. <laughs> Which one was your favorite question? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> okay. Any stood out to you? And if the there answer's is no, that's There's one okay. question where it was like, basically it was what moment has the protagonist lied to himself and how, like, what does that show about him? It was just kind of like, it was, I like wrestle with myself a lot. I'm very introspective. So I'm obviously like always arguing with myself. And he, like Bernard Marx in the novel seemed like he would be the type to two. But there was just like some type of betrayal once people around him didn't live up to his expectations. And he was like, when, at first I was very disappointed. He kind of like fit the loner, pariah, like outcast type. And he just kind of like at any opportunity to get more like close to society, he would try to do it like outside of soma and stuff because he believes like that type of stuff is blunting your intelligence mm-hmm. but, like some moments where the solidarity party he would like scream up with them and it's just like there's just like weird chanting that tries to make all the people present at the solidarity oh, gosh, party I remember that that's one yeah like orgy porgy yes, <laughs> what is oh that my gosh. i remember getting oh. so mad at that i don't know why <laughs> I just was just like, I just had like this weird mixed feeling that I couldn't pin down. I was just like, so how are you going to feel disappointed in Lanina crown later when you're like doing the same thing? I don't understand. <laughs> so if someone didn't get assigned this to, in high school, would you recommend that they read it either when they're young or when they're older out of high school? <laughs> I recommend it inside of high school because I believe that if you're introduced to more ideas when you're younger, you're le- more likely to be receptive to them than when you're older. Okay. So just kind of like giving giving people a good glimpse into a mm-hmm. horrific future. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird because it's like not even like kind of like slasher film type of horror. It's more of just kind of yeah. It's like a um what is unfolding it? train wreck and you can't look away. What is it the, with, the, with the wives? <laughs> oh, um, oh, Stepford wives. wives yeah. It's kind of like a Stepford wives horror where you're just like, oh no, everyone's being replaced by unfeeling robots. <laughs> huh, that sounds pretty entertaining actually yes <laughs> that's also a, a book and a movie i feel like people with the syndrome where they replace their love where they think their loved ones are imposters probably reading that shit and they're like wait a second <laughs> starting to look for any places like where their spouse plugs in to charge over <laughs> <laughs> all right i think that's all the yeah. questions i've got so thank you so much for joining us and stay tuned next week for more fantastic book recommendations bye <laughs>